Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by the illustrious editor of our blog and newsletter, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. So you sent me an interesting link for us to chat about today. This came up on the Physics Stack Exchange. Everyone knows physics is one of the hardest things to wrap your head around. It acts spooky and weird. Um, It's got some weird stuff. At a certain level. It's got some weird stuff. So this made it to the top of Hacker News. Uh, I guess a pretty interesting question. You want to run this through for me? Yeah. This got posted on Hacker News today. And the question is from nine years ago, where somebody <laughs> somebody found that they uh, were able to use the remote car key out of range by pressing it on their head and their chest. The idea is that the person got a little extra range by right. you know using their head and or chest as a resonance chamber. <laughs> and then <laughs> later on in the answer, somebody actually does an experiment pressing it to all parts of their bodies. And there's some great pictures of this person, you know, <laughs> pressing the key to their head. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. The yeah. experiment. That's science. Science at its <laughs> finest. That's this right. is a really interesting question, says the top answer. It turns out your body is reasonably conductive. Think salt water. More on the answer to that in this question. I mean, you could go down a real rabbit hole in this one. Sure. And that it can couple to RF, radio frequency sources, capacitively. Um, the effect is probably caused by one or more of the cavities in your body, your head or chest, acting as a resonance chamber for the RF signal. For example, think of how a resonance chamber can amplify waves, the hollow body you know, of a guitar and the strings that are attached. So that's you. You are the guitar that's playing right. the remote. That's pretty cool. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the, the conductiveness of the human body is, is one of the things that's sort of exploited by um, touchscreens. Um, I think mm, yeah. they use light conductivity to, to get there. Right. <laughs> Have you ever known or played on a theremin? Oh, yeah. I've, I've gone to science museums and played on a theremin. Yeah. You are acting as the L circuit. You don't have to touch it. You just that's have to right. move your hand around it. Yeah, just very cool. Recreating all the uh, the old spooky, spooky movies from the, uh, the 60s and 70s. Yeah, exactly. The Wolfman Jack Radio Hour. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I had a neat one. Uh, yeah. This came from, I guess it's like a Substack or something, but you know, mm-hmm. it read like a blog. Somebody went to the AI Tech Week Virtual Worlds Hackathon, and they created a fully playable D and D role playing style game in the span of one day. And the title of the article: Semantic Programming and Software 2.0. So basically. The conceit here is that they used Anthropic's uh, AI model, Claude, which can work with a big 100K tokens of text, and then something called the Blockade Labs Skybox Generator, which will create dynamic 3D scenes based on the description. And so you can get a few, you know, sort of random attributes at the beginning. And then from there, the rest of the sort of user interface, what the user is seeing, is being generated in roughly real time, or maybe not roughly real time, but it's being generated by these Gen AI models. Now, it's not all you know, newfangled stuff. It's an 
natural language to mm -hmm. XML subsystem. So that's like the way they exchange information between traditional coding and semantic inputs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, use case of AI. Um, I do think AI mm -hmm. is going to become integrated into games a lot more. And I think there's already a sort of generative AI on, you know, like bushes and trees, like nobody's modeling all the trees. Right. Yeah, there are these open source games, what's the No Man's Sky, you know, they're procedurally mm -hmm. generated, and they just, you know, continue to expand and move in new directions. And Gen AI might soup that up, and sort of like follow you wherever you decide to go, like there's no more side quests, whatever right. you're, you're interested in, that's what the game is about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you want to you wanna open the tree? Sure, there's a door in the tree. You can climb in. You can explore yeah, the, the, the tree, tree universe. Right, you've fallen into a, a new dimension. <laughs> yeah. In the second part of the series, they talk about sort of comparing this to like uh, old text muds, the old multi-user mm -hmm. dungeons where you describe the room and now they can build a whole visual sequence off of that and use like right. the room description as part of a vector database to determine how close people are mm, that's cool yeah i think one of the things that's that's sort of most interesting to come out of this is the sort of rapid prototyping right right you can have it generating stuff and then if you like it you can then export it as a sort of static model or you know this code be static or you know make the script static but you can sort right. of let the uh, the computer surprise you. You definitely should go and check out the Blockade Labs website. And you basically give it uh, like a simple prompt. You know, you dream up the world mm -hmm. and then it's infinite. You know, you can just go from there and it'll, you know, try to cook up something and you can remix it when you choose to. A friend of mine was at Union Square Ventures, which is mm -hmm. a well-known uh, VC shop in New York. And they have a little demo set up there where it's basically like, you know, a projector, a big screen, and you type in whatever you want to say. And they try, mm -hmm. you know, in real time to create that environment for you. And, you know, you can lead it on a bunch of different paths. My friend said it was a, a kind of, he said it was a fun and immersive experience that sometimes worked really well. Like you felt like you were just manifesting this dream and sometimes, you know, didn't work at all or lagged mm -hmm. out on you. Right. Yeah. I mean, right now we're at the sort of like, oh, cool toy stage of things where right. it's like oh what a fun you know little tech demo they put together but you know right. i don't know what are we like five years away from the first triple a game to sort of generate side quests in you know infinite dungeons right yeah what does the triple a game bring at that point if you know like i guess they bring the architecture underneath that's like you know it does mm -hmm. it really well but it's sort of like if you're not writing the story and you're not deciding what the maps look like, like what you know, what are you really, <laughs> what what are you, what do I need you for? Yeah, but yeah, they'll take a good franchise and they'll spin it that way. You just subscribe to it, right? Because you're mm -hmm. going to be costing them money on each of each of your steps forward, right? You're going to be right. calling to their generative models. Oh, I don't like that. The deeper you yeah. go, the more you pay. I don't like the pay to explore. I don't like that. Hey, the SaaS model is going to take a grim over. Prediction, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Pay by the minute. Uh-oh. This sounds like very Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I had one uh, other one that I wanted to share with you about um, grounding 
LLMs to prevent hallucinations. Mm. So this team created something they call WikiChat, and they took uh, three different LLM models, and it is model agnostic. You could use other ones, but they took GPT 3.5, GPT 4, and Llama, and they you know set it up so that it only drew on the context of Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and it had a bit of a sort of like multi-step uh, process. You'd get the query, you know, have you heard about Oppenheimer? Oh, you know, what do you think about the casting? So go read Wikipedia, summarize and filter the content, generate your answer, refine what you generated, fact check it, draft it, refine again, and then answer. And they found that this could increase the accuracy of these conversations to the point where, let's see, our best system achieves 97.3 factual accuracy in a simulated conversation. And that is 55% better than GPT-4. So quite a jump. That's pretty good. Yeah. So the multi-prop thing is just sort of chain of thought, verifying what it's saying using sort of vector databases underneath. Yeah, I'll walk you through the, the TLDR here. Stage one, you generate a search query that captures the user's interest you know, with the prompt, right? Stage mm-hmm. two, WikiChat that extracts the relevant sections of the retrieved passages from you know, the ground truth, which is Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. You prompt the LM to generate a response to the history of the conversation. It contains interesting and relatable knowledge, but is inherently unreliable and prone to hallucination. Mm-hmm. Then that response is broken down to multiple claims. And then you go through a verification prompt, chain of thought prompting to assign each claim to one of three classes. Retrieved evidence supports the claim, refutes the claim, or there's not enough information in the evidence to make this decision. Only claims that are supported by evidence are kept. So this deals with two uh, fundamental issues of large language models. One, that you know they're trained on this enormous corpus of text, and if you mm-hmm. ask them about current events or things that are less well-known, they tend to hallucinate. Mm-hmm. And two, you know, they don't give you a confidence score, right? Like they they just respond and, you know, it's up to you to then go check the facts. So this has a new sort of stage within it where they try to check the facts and then mm-hmm. if the facts are verified, they can respond. If they're not, they'll cut it out of the answer. And if nothing is found, they'll just say, you know, we couldn't find anything about this. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the the sort of end goals for a lot of people is is making sure it's verified and right. not not making stuff up. Yeah. You know, there's there's still folks who are wary about the accuracy of Wikipedia just because it's open to editing from en- everyone, but I th- I think Wikipedia is pretty reliable at this point. It's pretty well monitored yeah. by mods, you know. Yeah. All right, one last thing before we go, my favorite subject, the <laughs> brain computer interface. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> oh, I I love this stuff. So here's a new paper. It doesn't say when this was released, but it was just shared with me today. So I think it's pretty new. This is the first one to work directly from brain waves without putting any markers in there, meaning you don't look to see what you know the person's brain waves look like when they're reading, or you don't like, you know, have them repeat a certain letter a bunch of times. You don't have them say, you know, a few words. You just look at the brain waves and then mm. you predict on that. So Bob attended the University of Texas at Austin where he graduated Phi Beta Kappa. And it predicted the University of California at Austin, where he studied in Beta Kappa, a degree in Latin American studies, a degree in history and American studies. Mm -hmm. 1973, they said 1975, taking only two years to complete his work, taking uh, half a year to complete the degree, and generally obtaining excellent grades, and was excellent grades. 
So, hmm. eh, you know, it, it gets the gist of it. It gets some of it perfect. Hmm. Of course, the fact that it's coming straight from your brain without mm-hmm. any sort of setup or fine tuning, you know, to get it to know your brain is the wild part. Yeah. And it's, it's doing this without any uh, invasive tech. It's just scanning the electrical. Yes. Oh, good. Excellent point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it sort of has the possibility to be much more widely applied. Man. All right. Bringing you a few notes from the future here. <laughs> a few notes from the future. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, you know, turning off your microphone around your, your phone, you'll have to take off your, you know, wearable hat or. Right. Well, the tinfoil hat will finally come back. You know, the yeah, thing that right. blocks the EEG or whatever. It'll finally make sense. They're Faraday cages, uh, Ben. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Your portable Faraday cage. <laughs> All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's shout out a user who came on Stack Overflow and helped to spread a little knowledge. A favorite question badge awarded to Vinith Chitetti. Is it possible to hit multiple pods with a single request in a Kubernetes cluster? You want to hit mm. multiple pods? That is the question, and there is an answer for you, and helped over 32,000 people. So we appreciate the curiosity and the knowledge. As always, I have Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. Hit us up, podcast at Stack Overflow, if you have questions or suggestions for the program. And if you liked it, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can reach out to me on X at Arthur Donovan. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.